This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. By the way, Andrew Cuomo resigned. I thought you'd want to know. We'll discuss that in the last hour. Not in the first hour, because things are now happening in this country that are going to affect you directly. Directly. Republicans in the Senate. 19 of them have surrendered to the American Marxist movement, led by the Republican leader, so-called, of the Senate, Mitch McConnell. Right after this vote was taken today, Mitch McConnell started to attacking the Democrats on the next infrastructure bill. He did that because he didn't want you to pay attention to the first one. All kinds of pork and pet projects in these bills. The Associated Depressed, of course, the biggest media organ in the world, is out there saying the Senate demonstrated that it can work and do big things. You see, doing big things doesn't mean something's working. You can do big things that are disastrous. But the Senate, you see, is only working if it is actually 
expanding the massive side of the already massive Leviathan. The bigger the government gets, the more powerful the Democrat Party gets. The more powerful the Democrat Party gets, the bigger the government gets. One and the same. Virtually every Republican president (laughs) finds that they're being undermined by the bureaucracy. And the Democrats do everything they can to defend the bureaucracy, to unionize the bureaucracy, to ensure that the bureaucracy is very well and highly paid, and that it is expanding year after year after year at your expense. At your expense. And I know when I speak like this, it hurts my ratings in Washington. I don't care. I don't care. Did you know, according to the Heritage Foundation, did you know that each household in this country is on the hook of over $220,000 in debt? Who's going to wipe out that debt? Over $220,000 in debt, every household in this country. And that this so-called infrastructure bill adds almost another $3,000 per household. And it's not $1 trillion, $1.1 trillion, $1.2 trillion. The real number is closer to $2 trillion. Hundreds of billions of dollars are unaccounted for. Hundreds of billions of dollars. You want to know what else is in this? And we'll get to the $3.5 trillion later. That's coming too. As pointed out by Heritage, a lot of radical causes, special treatment for disadvantaged groups, establishing a new bureaucracy to increase the number of female truck drivers, the Hyperwoke Digital Equity Act, which includes expanding Internet access for prisoners. Did you know that's in the infrastructure bill? Tens of billions on subsidizing electric vehicles and charging stations, electric buses, electric ferry boats, so-called green energy production, mandating reports on climate change, even half a billion dollars to try to cool down pavements in cities. Pavements. What else? Federal funding of local projects that involve traffic calming. You ever heard of that phrase? Me neither. Traffic calming. It's closely related to the left-wing concept of road diets. Hello, road diets. Which Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has endorsed. He endorses road diets. What does that mean? Deliberately slowing traffic and creating congestion in order to force people into public transportation. Do you still support this bill? I love these polls. Eighty-some percent of the American people support infrastructure. Do you support this? Of course not. Because you're lied to, there's censorship. They don't tell you what's in the bill. But I'll continue. It provides $125 million towards studies and pilot projects to encourage state governments to do what? To push for miles travel tax on cars. Miles travel tax on cars. $1 billion for a reconnecting communities program that would tear down highways in urban areas. The Biden administration's infrastructure plan called for $20 billion, a variety of activist groups already demanding more. 
Politicians often accurately cite crumbling roads and bridges to justify infrastructure spending. But in this case, crumbling roads and bridges would be the goal. Giving as large a share of new spending to mass transit and inner city rail as it does for highways, even though transit and rail account for a minuscule share of national travel. Because their radical kook base demands an equal amount of funding for highways as it does for mass transit. The Senate bill spends $55 billion on local water systems, which in many cases will mean bailing out city governments that neglected one of their core duties. Creates dozens of programs where Buttigieg and Transportation Department bureaucrats get to decide how to distribute over $100 billion worth of infrastructure grants. And Buttigieg has emphasized he will prioritize the radical goals related to race and equity in such decisions. And most insidious of all is when the federal government elbows its way into the private sector. The Senate bill does so in two key areas. Energy and broadband internet. It combined $138 billion will go toward a variety of subsidies, mandates, government-operated enterprise competing with private providers. Engorging the federal leviathan. It's not just a problem for limited government conservatives. Reducing the power of state and local governments turns federal elections into winner-take-all competitions. Unbelievable. What kind of a Republican would vote for this? What kind of a Republican would vote for this? You want to hear the names of the Senate Republicans who voted for this? Well, I'll give them to you. Mitch McConnell. Now, Mitch McConnell's the Republican leader, right? 49 Republicans voted. There are 50. I don't know what happened to the other one. But 49 voted. 19 voted I. That means Mitch McConnell and 18 of his comrades voted for this. 30 Republicans voted against it. How can this guy be the leader when he's leading 18 other senators when 30 in his own party voted against this? Roy Blunt, part of the Republican leadership, not running for re-election, he voted for it. Richard Burb, North Carolina, retiring, he voted for it. Capito of West Virginia, who is a disaster and a disgrace, she voted for it. Cassidy of Louisiana. These bills are killing the energy system, of which Louisiana is a key part. Cassidy votes for this. Collins in Maine. Collins in Maine. Let me go through this list to make sure I'm getting it all correct. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm looking at the yeas. Burr got him. Capito got her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Cassidy got him. Collins got her. Who else among the Republicans voted yes? Kramer of North Dakota. I saw this guy on TV. He's an idiot. Was the governor of North Dakota. They, McConnell begged him, please run, please run. We can't hold the seat without you. Of course we can. North Dakota, Kramer. Followed by a Republican in Idaho by the name of Crapo. Spelled Crapo. I like Crapo. 
So Idaho, both of its senators, as you'll see, vote for this massive, phony bill with all this social engineering. Shocking. Shocking. Adding more debt on the shoulders of each and every one of you. What other Republican voted for this? Fisher of Nebraska. Fisher of Nebraska. By the way, you should never vote for any of these Republicans ever again. Some of them aren't running again as they're retiring. Some just won. You should never vote for any one of them. If they can't even stand up to this, they're not worth a damn thing. Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Dizzy Lindsey. Charles Grassley, please, Chuck, run again. We need a 117-year-old senator. Please, Chuckles, run again. Loser. Who else voted yes among the repubes? Hooven, North Dakota. Hooven, another one. Oh, please, please run. We need you so badly. No, we don't. Hope you lose. What other Republicans? Let's see here. I'm looking, I'm looking. Give me a second. I got to go through the whole damn list. Oh. Let's see here. Murkowski of Alaska. She's up for election. You paying attention, Alaska? I hope so. She's never met a spending bill she's opposed. And she's bought and paid for by the NEA, by the way. Yes, the critical race theory NEA. That's Murkowski. That's Murkowski. Portman of Ohio. Oh, he's so good. He was a Bushy, he was OMB Bush guy. Such a centrist, such a temperate guy. Get the hell out, you jerk. That's right, I said it. Then we have this guy, Rish of Idaho. We once tried to get this guy on the show. Uh, talk to the uh, committee. Uh, Mr. Rish is not available. Idaho. That's two votes out of Idaho for massive government spending and massive federal government social engineering. Romney out of, out of Utah. I mean, if we can't get serious men and women out of Utah and South Carolina and Idaho, then where the hell are we going to get them from? Let's continue with the repubes. May I? I think I will. Let's see as I go down the list. I know there's... Oh, Sullivan of Alaska. The man came on this show. He's Mr. Big Conservative. He was fighting for his life for re-election. Sullivan of Alaska. Another, another one who throws in. Now, Thune of South Dakota voted no, but this is perplexing. Not. Because he made a statement earlier today. He said, you know, well, sometimes we have to do this sort of thing. Uh, I know it upsets the base, but, you know, we got to show that we can work together on bipartisanship. Then he votes against it. So there's a guy with two feet firmly planted in the air. Thune. Thune. Tillis of North Carolina. Another one comes on the show. He's running for his life in North Carolina. He's a conservative, though, don't you know? Yeah, okay, great. Wicker of Mississippi. If you can't get a vote against massive federal engineering, massive debt out of Mississippi, where are we going with this? Mississippi? South Carolina? Idaho? Utah? Alaska? The Republican leader? They sold you out, America. Every family in this country, you're going to see higher inflation. They cannot say, not one of the 19, cannot say and blame inflation on a Democrat. Because we have inflation, and they just added to it. 
hundreds of billions of dollars that are not accounted for in any serious accounting or budgeting scheme. Every damn one of these 19 should be defeated, regardless of everything else. Because you and your children and grandchildren are going to pay a price for this. And on top of all the rest, they grease the skids for what's coming behind 3.5 trillion. It's 5.5 trillion. And when we come back, I want to tell you what's coming behind this and that these 19 Republicans helped grease the skids for it. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Well, now that these 19 repubes help set the stage for a whopping 3.5 trillion, I want to I want to slow down. Prior to voting on this first so-called infrastructure bill today, 19 Republicans led by McConnell, the Democrats had passed the 1.9 trillion dollar bill. So that's 1.9. by their numbers, and then 3.5. The 1.9 really turns out to be 2.3. The 1.2 really turns out to be 2.0. And the 3.5 really turns out to be 5.5. So that comes to 9.8 trillion. They hope to do in seven or eight months. Now in this 3.5, which is really 5.5 trillion... They have a whole slew of new entitlements. Now, I want to remind you, thanks to our friend Steve Moore, that of the 1.9 several months ago, they expanded unemployment benefits, free health care, more generous food stamps, rental assistance, more money for teachers' unions, state governments. Now in the $3.5 trillion, they want new entitlements. Universal and fully subsidized daycare, pre-kindergarten, free, free community college, Student loan forgiveness for children who went to places like Harvard University. Now they're debating whether to make the weekly $300 temporary bonus on unemployment benefits permanent. Permanent. But most dangerous of all, I hope you seniors are listening, the planned expansions of Medicare and Medicaid. They've already taken money out of Medicare and Medicaid for COVID. These programs have a long-term deficit of $55 trillion, but now they want to expand them. So they're going to sink faster. More when I return.
Yes, it's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. Philip Klein is a uh, senior writer, is a senior editor at the National Review Online. Phil, how are you, sir? Doing well. Well, are we doing well as a nation when the Republicans pass the so-called infrastructure bill and 19 of them fan out across the media and tell us how swell this is? No, it's really uh, disgraceful. Um, basically, Republicans, everything that they've told us about this for months uh, has been a lie. Uh, they claimed it would be fully paid for. The CBO says it's going to add a quarter trillion uh, to the deficit. They claimed it would only narrowly focus on things like roads and bridges. That's only 20% of the bill. And they claimed it would scare away moderates from supporting the larger $3.5 trillion bill that crams in the entire uh, radical liberal agenda. And um, the Democrats are moving full speed ahead with that larger bill. They, they didn't waste a moment. Um, and, you know, this isn't at a time when we're running a massive surplus. Um, we're already coming around the pandemic, coming out of a pandemic where um, if all these bills pass, we will spend $10 trillion in just the past year and a half above our existing spending. And Biden's own budget says that we're on pace to break the World War II record for debt as a share of the economy. Uh, inflation's out of control. Um, so it's it's infuriating that Republicans would essentially grease the wheels for Biden to pass his his big uh, bipartisan accomplishment at this time. And and what's especially um, enraging is that it's coming at a time right after Biden um, set, defied the Supreme Court and and issued an illegal eviction moratorium. Um, and that Congress was supposed to act on, and it didn't. Um, so he thumbed his nose at both other branches of government, and Republicans responded by delivering him this huge victory. Um, and it's disgraceful. I agree 100%. And, you know, they always claim we're in the minority, we have no power. What are they talking about? When the Democrats in the minority, they exercise a lot of power, especially in the Senate. I mean, we have massive numbers of people coming across the southern border, a significant percentage of them have the coronavirus. Many of them are criminals. Many of them are, are drug pushers and on and on and on. Why would they vote for one extra dollar to support anything Biden wants until Biden even attempts to secure the southern border? They don't even use any leverage, do they, Phil? No. I mean, look, when, Demi when uh, Trump wanted to have infrastructure week, Democrats said, that they weren't going to give him the victory. They didn't want to enable Trump's other actions that they disagreed with. And they drew a line in the sand, and Trump never got infrastructure done. Uh, now Biden comes in, and Republicans just roll over to give him everything he wants. Um, and it, it's really perplexing. And it's hard to know what the political strategy is here, because if we're just talking about things from a, a crude political perspective, and keep in mind, I think this is substantively a bad idea. But even if we go into cynical politics, in, in when has obstruction ever hurt, right? Republicans tried to block everything uh, Obama did, and they took back Congress under Obama. 
Democrats, when they blocked what Trump did, they took back the Congress. So I, I don't really see where's the the idea comes from that if you give Biden this huge victory, it's going to somehow win Republicans Congress in 2022. I think it's the same defeatist strategy that Republicans had for decades when they were the permanent minority. And it, it really wasn't until 94 that, you know, in the early Clinton years when they decided to fight back. And that's when they returned to power. This stinks to me like they're just in the permanent minority mindset. Or they're getting a lot of money to bring back to their states, and they don't care about all the other things that are going to happen as a consequence. And they, they uh, in a self-aggrandizing way, they go out and they actually argue they're the conservatives. I actually heard this guy from North Dakota, not Hoven, the other one, actually say that they're the real conservatives. I saw this guy, Cassidy, unhinged on television going on and on about how this was going to suck the moderates into their position. I'm thinking... You are, are so uh, so brainwashed by inside the Beltway and the Associated Press praising these people for what they're doing. They're like certain of these Supreme Court justices. Once they get on the court, Phil, they just flip, and they're led by McConnell. McConnell and 18 of his colleagues voted against 30 of their colleagues. How can you be the Republican leader when you're in the minority of your own party? I, I honestly, I don't know what's going on. And I think that, you know, what, what's frustrating is that what's going to happen is Democrats are going to push through this $3.5 trillion bill and all these Republicans will vote against it. And they'll try to convince us that they oppose the big um, Biden bill. Uh, but the reality is that this greased the wheels for the whole spending. This this was something that they needed to get. Everyone, you know, Biden said that this was in tandem. Pelosi said they were connected. Schumer moved them both on parallel parts. This was, they had a tricky job to try to get uh, legislation that Manchin and AOC could both vote for. And Republicans did them a huge favor by getting this law in the finish line. A few weeks ago, Manchin had said, if the bipartisan bill falls apart, the whole bill falls apart. So as far as I'm concerned, any Republican who voted for this infrastructure bill should be treated by us as having supported the entire $4 trillion bill, because Democrats certainly see it as the same thing. Which is exactly why right after the vote, McConnell runs to the microphone and says, we've got to defeat this Democrat socialist bill. We've got to defeat it. Because he's spinning his own constituents. He's spinning the American people just like a Democrat. You know, Phil Klein, we used to talk about social conservatives. Oh, they're so controversial. Oh, the conservative hawks. Oh, they're so controversial. But at least we can all be fiscal conservatives. We can't even be that anymore, can we? No. And and again, I mean... We're in a situation where it's much worse than all the previous times that we talked about. Basically, as a result of the pandemic, it's moved up by a decade all of the fiscal problems that all of us have been warning about, right? When we talked about debt um, as a share of the economy exceeding the size of the economy, we're over 100% of GDP um, for the first time since fighting World War II, except after World War II, we said, the crisis is over. Now we're going to return to more 
normal spending levels. And back then, Social Security was in its infancy. We didn't have Medicare or Medicaid or Obamacare. So now we're coming, we already came into the COVID crisis on an unsustainable path due to our entitlements. Then we add six trillions of dollars spending in the name of fighting COVID. And then we come out of it and instead of saying, okay, now that the crisis is receding, we have to, you know, get our fiscal house in order. The, the Democrats say, let's move full speed ahead in redrawing uh, the social safety net to make us more like Europe, where we have a, a cradle-to-grave welfare state system. And Republicans are going along with it. I mean, this should be a fighting call. I mean, look at that the $3.5 trillion bill. They, they want to give away, you know, universal pre-K and... Uh, you know, pay for everyone's child care, community college, um, the Green New Deal stuff. And if they want to expand Medicare, add dental and vision to Medicare, which is, which is already broke. broke. Um, and, you know, I mean, last year before the pandemic, the trustees said that Medicare was going to run out of money. In by 2026, that's five years away. It's probably even sooner than that now if, if they ever get around to issuing a new report, which they're months late on. And, and let me ask you this, Phil Klein. What kind of a representative republic is it when they keep passing these massive omnibus bills that are 2,700 pages long? The other next one will be even bigger. We have no say in it. There's no debate about it. They do it as fast as they can, as big as they can. So the American people are cut out of the process altogether completely cut out. And, and look, there's no, I mean, if you try to read the 2,700 page bill, if you're not, you know, a, a, not just a lawyer, but somebody who's sort of a congressional legislative aide, it's very difficult to make heads or tails of what's buried in there. Um, and, and there's all sorts of stuff in there. If you look where, you know, special deals for Alaska, um, there, there's for Alaskan Highway. There's something in there for the Appalachian Commission, which Manchin's wife um, uh, is on, you know, serves on. There's just all sorts of things, and I, I think honestly, for months we're going to be reading about things and say, where did this come from? How did we How lose did Phil from this? Hello, I, di- I didn't hear I'm you. Here. Say that oh, again sorry. for months. What now? No, I, no, I said that like for months um, after we're speaking, we're going to be discovering things that were in this bill that are just atrocious. This is in every respect at every level a disaster. This first bill and for 19 Republicans to go along with it. The problem is, Phil, seven of them uh, just won re-election. Three of them are not running for re-election. So that's 10 out of the 19. Uh, you have people like Lindsey Graham who always poses as a conservative and so forth. But I must say, from my perspective, always lets us down. Yeah, and the, and the uh, thing, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say on Lindsey Graham, I mean, the thing about it was that if you remember weeks ago, they all met in front of the White House and touted this great bipartisan agreement. And then uh, Biden says, well, if this come, comes to my desk without you know, the the three point five trillion bill, I'm not gonna sign it. And so then Lindsey Graham says, Oh, he's acting like we're a bunch of idiots. Uh, I'm done with this. And then he turned and then Biden 
just issues some, you know, mild statement, and then all of a sudden, Lindsey Graham's back on board a few days later. Do you remember when Romney said he was severely conservative? Yes, I do. I was standing in the room. I think he's severely unhinged now. I don't get this at all. We have, we have a senator from Mississippi, Wicker, for crying out loud, Mississippi. If we can't hold a senator from Mississippi, if we can't hold a senator from South Carolina, a senator from Louisiana, Cassidy, we have Capito from West Virginia, whose father was the governor of West Virginia. She's got a solid hold on that seat. We can't hold her. I mean, I'm looking down the list here. It's just absolutely stunning. It's shocking, is it not? Yeah, I mean, and, they must and all be getting something. I, I mean, if you look at the legislation, it's pretty clear that there's Meaning a the lot states. of stuff that there. Yeah. Yes, the individual states. It's it's a lot of stuff coming back home, and I think for Romney, it's the the sense that I've gotten is that somehow he was embarrassed by being this liberal bad caricature who ran against Obama. And he was never comfortable uh, playing the role of conservative. So he felt like he wanted to become center and resuscitate himself, you know, revive himself and come out with the legacy of somebody who's sort of this responsible, you know, Republican. Um, And I, I think really I get the sense that this is what's driving it. I mean, remember, Romney is why we have Obamacare in the first place, because uh-huh. in Massachusetts, he did the same thing. He, he basically wanted to show that um, he could sort of that, you know, he could be a, a Republican you could deal with. And he designed this health care program and it became the basis for Obamacare. And they, it even had the same architect, Jonathan Gruber, who designed the, the same mechanism. Um, and the individual mandate. It started with uh, Romney, and he tried to sell it as some sort of conservative individual responsibility idea. Phil, I want to thank you very much. Keep it up. This is very, very important. We've got to keep battling this, and I wish you all the best, my friend. Thank you for having me. That's Phil Klein, National Review. We'll be right back. in. You know, there used to be, you want a bill, you pass a bill. A bill that has a specific purpose, that has a funding source, that sort of... Not anymore. We the people have no idea what the hell's going on. No saying it. And 19 Republicans in the Senate are perfectly happy with it. These 19, 10 of whom are, feel they're immune... Seven of the ten just won re-election, so they're very cocky. Three of the ten are not running for re-election. But we have to make the others pay a price. Or we're contributing to the destruction of our own country. I mean, in these guys and gals, the issues I raise in American Marxism, it's so over their head. This is why I said, do not expect the Republican Party to save you. It is incapable of it. Do not expect the Republican Party to save you. We have to save ourselves. I'm telling you, folks, we have to rally to our own freedom. We have to rally to our own country. We have to rally to the defense 
of what we love and what our children need and grandchildren in the future. Because if you expect Mitch McConnell and Romney and Susan Collins to do it, you're absolutely wrong. We must vote, but it's not enough to vote. It is not enough to vote. Now, many of you have children and grandchildren going off to college. You need to arm them with a copy of American Marxism. And same with your own communities and your neighborhoods. So you're up to speed on exactly what's taking place, why it's taking place, who's behind it, and what we can do about it. You are the Paul Revere's. This is the Thomas Paine pamphlet, American Marxism. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Trust me, we'll get to Cuomo. But he's already resigned. We'll get to them. You know, some of the more superficial shows, they want to start with this. I'll get to that. I'm telling you about things that are happening now with your life. Senator Ed Markey is, in my view, an American Marxist. Of course, he would deny it. But who cares? And he was on MSLSD yesterday, hat tip Breitbart. And he wants you to know some of what's going to be in this next bill that these 19 Republicans made possible. Cut 13, go. And what you're describing there, some of the measures in that budget reconciliation, they sound like measures that were in the Green New Deal that you were one of the architects of. Is that something you're allowed to say? Or are you worried that if you say that, Republicans lose their mind because they've so successfully demonized a Green New Deal as somehow... Listen to this, idiot. Oh, I so successfully demonized the Green New Deal. Marxism. Go. On the right. No, without question, the Green New Deal is in the DNA uh, of um, this uh, Green Budget Resolution. Uh, All of the things that are in, we talked about in the Green New Deal. Now, we have to go even further in the years ahead. You, You understand that. This is just the beginning. They have to go even further. This is just the start. Because it never ends. Go ahead. Here and it includes increasing the fuel economy standards for the vehicles uh, which we drive. Uh, it, 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 it means that we have to have a oh, big yeah. agreement in Glasgow that brings the whole world together. Uh, later on this year with President Biden finally having a piece of legislation which passes so that the rest of the world sees that we're serious, that we're the leader and not the laggard. You cannot preach climate temperance from a bar stool. See, this is, this is the... the ideological insanity that we're dealing with. Now, I want to give this some perspective and give it to, to you right away. Right away. There's an entire chapter on climate change fanaticism and climate change so-called reeks throughout this next multi-trillion dollar bill. And the reason is it is a way to control you. A way to control you. The so-called environmental movement of the 1970s, I write in American Marxism, 
has devolved into another avenue to attack American constitutional republicanism and, of course, capitalism. From clean air and clean water to global cooling, warming, climate change, the goal of many of the leading intellectuals behind this effort has been the introduction of Marxist thinking and objectives through the guise of environmentalism as the Green New Deal, which promotes economic regression, radical egalitarianism, and autocratic rule. That's what's in this budget. But the movement has expanded well beyond that to include virtually every programmatic and agenda-driven goal of the American Marxist, which has been embraced to one degree or another by the Democratic Party, among others. Relatively prescient, don't you think? Moreover, the environmental movement has developed numerous areas of overlap with other Marxist-centric ideologies and movements, such as critical race theory via environmental justice which declares the existence of environmental racism targeting minority communities. And some of the movement's masterminds insist that Marxism does not go far enough in establishing their degrowth utopianism, as they imagine life in a perpetual state of nature, where productivity, growth, and material acquisition are toxic to the human spirit. In other words, this is a religion. And of course, in the end, it all involves a form of repression and autocracy. At the core of this mind-numbing, amalgamated, Marxist-centric or Marxist-like crusade is the degrowth movement. Mankind consumes and produces too much, and the blame resides with capitalism in America. Again, there are a variety of movements within movements targeting one or another approach, but there are basic tenets. The best way to explain this is to expose what certain of its leading advocates have to say. In their essay, What is Degrowth? From an activist slogan to a social movement, quote-unquote, leading degrowthers Federico de Maria, Francois Schneider, Filka Sekolova, and Joan Martin Allier write that, quote, degrowth was launched in the beginning of the 21st century as a project of voluntary societal shrinking of production and consumption aimed at social and ecological sustainability. I'm quoting them. It quickly became a slogan against economic growth and developed into a social movement. Unlike sustainable development, which is a concept based on false consensus, degrowth does not aspire to be adopted as a common goal by the UN or the European Commission. The idea of socially sustainable degrowth, or simply degrowth, was born as a proposal for radical change. The contemporary context of neoliberal capitalism appears as a post-political condition, meaning a political formulation that forecloses the political and prevents the politicization of particular demands. Within this context, with me, within this context, degrowth is an attempt to repoliticize the debate on much-needed socio-ecological transformation. They use big words and big phrases, and I explain them in a minute because they mean nothing. Affirming dissidents with the current world representations and search for alternative ones. Degrowth challenges the ideas of green growth or green economy and the associated belief in economic growth as a desirable path and political agendas. Degrowth is not just an economic concept, it is a frame constituted by a large array of concerns, goals, strategies, and actions. As a result, degrowth has now become a confluence point where streams of critical ideas and political action converge. So I explain. So the goal is to reverse the massive economic progress resulting from, among other things, the Industrial Revolution, 
which created a huge, vibrant middle class and infinite technological, scientific, and medical achievements that have overwhelmingly improved the human condition. But this quartet of authors continues, quote, Degrowth has evolved into an interpretive frame for a social movement, understood as the mechanism through which actors engage in a collective action. For instance, anti-car and anti-advertising activists, cyclists, pedestrian rights campaigners, partisans of organic agriculture, critics of urban sprawl, and promoters of solar energy and local currencies have started seeing degrowth as an appropriate common representative frame for their worldview, unquote. And so as I explain, the social movement envisioned by these utopians would drag America into a regressive, impoverished society with widespread economic and social dislocation. That is, a pre-industrialized environment where progress comes to an end. For that is the goal. Anti-car is anti-mobility. Anti-advertising is anti-speech. Anti-modern agriculture is anti-abundant food. Anti-fossil fuels, anti-abundant energy, etc. One wonders, what if scientific and medical advances? How would they be developed and broadly applied for the benefit of the general population? Like Marxism generally, this degrowth movement is based on theories and abstractions that when forcibly applied in the real world, particularly in a widely successful and advanced society, have a result that is disastrous for the population. Moreover, experience shows that for those among them who are famous, wealthy, and or powerful, they will continue to luxuriate in a lifestyle created by capitalism. You want to hear more? You want to hear a little more? You want to know why this book has sold three-quarters of a million copies so far? Because people want to know. People want to know. And we need to know. And we need to know exactly what's in this bill. This bill relates to exactly what I'm talking about. Now you understand the background. They go on. Quote, degrowth is also an interpretive frame. Diagnose that disparate social phenomena, stick with me, I'll explain, such as the social and environmental crises are related to economic growth, write the foursome. Degrowth actors are thus signifying agents engaged in the production of alternative and contentious meetings, uh, meanings which differ from ones defended by the mainstream. They go on, the prognosis, usually characterized by a strong utopian dimension, seeks solutions and hypotheses, new social patterns. Beyond practical goals, this process opens new spaces and prospects for action. Strategies associated with the prognosis tend to be multiple. In terms of approaches, stay with me, these can be alternative buildings, Opposition research, and in relation to capitalism, they can be anti-capitalist, post-capitalist, and despite capitalism. So there you have it. For many of the environmental intellectuals, so-called, behind this amorphous yet widespread movement, the goal is to spawn myriad sub-movements aimed at taking down the capitalist system. And I explained it in 2015. The degrowthers seek to eliminate carbon sources of energy and redistribute wealth according to terms they consider equitable. They reject the traditional economic reality that acknowledges growth as improving living conditions generally, but especially for the impoverished. They embrace less competition, large-scale redistribution, sharing, and reduction of excessive incomes and wealth. 
Degrowth is when to engage in policies that will set a maximum income or maximum wealth to weaken envy as a motor of consumerism, they say. Opening borders, no border in fact, to reduce means to keep inequality between rich and poor countries. It's one of the reasons your borders open. And they demand reparations for supporting a concept of ecological debt or the demand that the global north pay for past and present colonial exploitation of the global south. The degrowthers also demand that government establish a living wage and reduce the work week to 20 hours. It goes on. American Marxism. It's a very, very important chapter. I haven't spent enough time on it, that's for sure. That is chapter 5, Climate Change Fanaticism. This is in the next coming multi-trillion dollar bill that the Democrats are pushing. This is in it. It's a war on capitalism. It's a war on private property rights. It's a war on technological progress that improves our lives, creates medical technologies and so forth. This is a degrowth movement. It's nothing to do with climate change. It has nothing to do with a Green New Deal. And notice, as I say, the so-called intersectionality. This is in the bill that the Democrats are going to vote on and the 19 Senate Republicans plowed the fields, plowed the way for it. They have no idea what's swirling around. They get a new bridge, a new airport, a couple billion here, a couple billion there. They're sellouts and they're paid off. Starting with McConnell, the worst of the bunch. He's an old bull that doesn't understand what the hell's going on. So he's full of old bull. Every major modern American Marxist movement is represented in this bill. The open borders movement, the degrowth movement, they're all in this bill. You understand this because you listen to this radio show or you've read the book. You understand this. More and more people need to become aware of this as soon as possible, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what else to do. I'm on radio. I'm on TV. I'm on digital TV. I don't know what else to do. We need your help. You have got to spread the word. You have got to spread the word. The mission is critical. I've done like 60 radio interviews. I don't know how many TV interviews. I don't know how many digital interviews. It's been enormous. I'm exhausted. That's okay. People do a hell of a lot more than I do. Especially when they're trying to save this country and protect us. But all I'm asking for you to do is read it. And pass it to the next person. Read it. Pass it. You don't have to buy a zillion. Read it. You read it. Then pass it to the next person. And pass it to the next person. And pass it to the next person. Get the word out. Please get the word out. As fast as humanly possible. Or we're going to lose. And I don't mean an election. I mean a country. I'll be right back. This is an example of the corrupt media in America, David Knowles. Republicans largely silent on Code Red climate change report. Where would this report come from? The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the United Nations, you see, which is as corrupt as it gets. 
corrupt as it gets. And our media mouthpieces are there. Are they there because they want to report the news? No, ladies and gentlemen, I said it over and over again in interviews and on this air. There is not a dime's worth of difference between these various Marxist movements in America and the media in America. Unlike President Biden and numerous Democratic lawmakers who shared on social media the conclusion of U.N. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez's report that that is a code red for humanity on climate change, prominent Republicans avoided posting their thoughts on the matter. They didn't avoid it. For the most part, they probably ignored it. In a Tuesday interview with National Pubic Radio, however, Senator Rick Scott was asked directly about the release of the report and why he wasn't pushing for greater climate change measures. You see, this is the media in America. And the newly passed infrastructure bill that would help ensure the safety of Florida residents. No, it wouldn't. It would rip off Florida residents. I think we clearly want to and need to address the impacts of climate change, and we've got to protect our environment. But we've got to do it in a fiscally responsible manner, says Scott. We can't put jobs at risk. So you see, he surrenders the high ground. He surrenders the high ground. He accepts the propaganda. He accepts the movement. We just got to do it in a proper way, you know, so we don't lose jobs. Wait a minute. He has no idea what he's talking about. You do, because you've read the chapter on climate change. But even more than that. Many of you have looked at the back of the book at the end notes with all the experts and so forth. So the media pushed this agenda just as they pushed critical race theory, just as they pushed open borders, just as they pushed the, the so-called infrastructure bill one, infrastructure bill two, just as they pushed Joe Biden, just as they pushed the Democrats. And now here they are pushing this. And a Republican senator from Florida says... Well, look, we can't, I think we can focus on the impacts of climate change and not put our jobs at risk and kill our economy. People say, I don't understand. I don't understand why Joe Biden killed the Keystone XL pipeline. It was environmentally clean. Why did he do that? Because it's part of the degrowth movement. It's nothing to do with the environment. It has nothing to do with clean air and clean water. It has nothing to do with carbon dioxide. This is their this is their faith. This is their hymnal. And they think they've perfected it now. Because all through the suburbs, you don't believe in climate change, you must be a denier, you know, like a Holocaust denier like the Washington Post. They finally found the phrase, climate change. We searched for 50 years. 50 years we worked on this. Degrowth didn't work. Anti-capitalism didn't work. Cooling didn't work. Heating didn't work because there was winters. There were... Climate change, because the climate changes. Ah, we got it now. And then we have suckers in the Republican Party. Hook, line, and sinker. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, a proud fanatic for the Constitution. Call him now 
at 877-381-3811. Let me just be blunt about this. If I thought this book was your average book, do you think I'd be pushing it as hard as I'm pushing it? Honest to God, ladies and gentlemen, do you think three-quarters of a million people would have acquired a copy of this book or some form of this book if they didn't think it was worthwhile? You can go to Amazon.com. There's now over 5,000 comments, 4.9 out of 5, five stars. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. This is the vehicle through which I'm trying to press our case. It's the lens through which you can see what's going on in our country. That's the point of it. Whether it's these massive omnibus bills with all these, 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 uh, these Marxist organizations and what they're pushing, their ideologies, that are being foisted upon us with a massive omnibus bill, and 19 Republicans vote for it, and worse is to come, and they say, well, now we're drawing the line. No, you should have drawn the line yesterday. Yesterday. All the social engineering that are in these bills, there's two bills, ladies and gentlemen, between the two of them. One of them is said to be 1.1 or 1.2 trillion. It's actually closer to 2 trillion. Another one coming up is said to be 3.5. It's actually closer to 5.5. The one earlier was 1.9. It was actually over 2. But let's, let's round it off. 5.5 plus 2 is 7.5. Plus two more is $9.5 trillion in a period of months, ladies and gentlemen. We're now, our debt is now over 100% of the gross domestic product. That's only happened to us once before in World War II, when we ramped up to fight World War II. What are we going to do if we have to fight the communist Chinese now? We're not going to have any money. We're not going to have the ability. And then they have these phony polls in the media. Oh, look at all the people who support infrastructure, 81%. You had Republicans referring to these polls. But you didn't know it was in these bills. You're thinking infrastructure. Ah, they need to widen the road in my community. They're not thinking of that. 23%, 23% of this so-called infrastructure bill went to what you think are roads and bridges and all the rest. They're pushing mass transit. They want to control your vehicles. They want to make them lighter and lighter so they're less and less safe. They want to create conditions where you're going to try and give up your cars and go to mass transit. More and more density at the pandemic. These people are nuts. They don't know what the hell they're doing. And yet they're imposing their will on us. They have no mandate to do any of this. That's why they have to push these... These executive orders, that's why they have to use the bureaucracy and regulations. That's why they use these omnibus bills. God forbid you have an opportunity to figure out what the hell's going on. This is the real insurrection. It's going on right now before your eyes. This is what Thomas Jefferson called tyranny of the legislature. Tyranny of the legislature. By the way, I will be on Hannity tonight at Sean's request, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time, I'll be on Hannity tonight. For what will be what, Mr. Producer, my three-minute hit or whatever it is? Four, I guess. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. I hope you'll join us. But this book, you know, people write books about themselves. This book isn't about me. 
It's about us. It's not about my career. It's about saving the country. It's in response to callers. It's in response to listeners. Mark, what can we do? What can they do? Why are these things going on? I know I've done a zillion interviews. I hear that in so many cases the same thing. What are we going to do? How did we get here? The book explains it. It's an effort. It's a reach back to the common sense and American crisis pamphlets. Where I'm trying to inform anybody who wants to be informed, anybody who wants to be informed, anybody who wants to take control of their own situation and inform other people. This is the tool. There's nothing else out there. This is the tool. How do I know? Because I've, I've spent months and months and months. If you're looking for answers, if you're looking to understand, if you're looking to get involved, then you're at the right place. Those of you who have listened to this program for a long time, I've often said I was born at the wrong time. And I often think this. What I would have done, what I would have given to be there during the debates at the Second Continental Congress at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, which was the Pennsylvania Assembly Building, to participate in that. What I would have done to sit in exactly the same room during the debates of the Constitution for five and a half months in Philadelphia, as hot as it was, what I would do to be back then. And then as I'm writing this book, I think, all right, wait a second. We have to do this again. Different environment, different circumstances, different methodology, got it. But fundamentally, we have to do this again. We are fighting an enemy. It's the most powerful enemy we have ever faced. Ever faced. And it is the most complex enemy. And it's the most daunting and complicated way to fight an enemy. Why? Because they've devoured so many of our institutions and our culture. So we have to make a decision on how we do this. And so that's the effort. That's the effort. That's the point. And in the very last chapter of the book, chapter 7, at the beginning, I talk about our founders. Who've been trashed, who've been attacked, who've been besmirched by by people who've contributed absolutely nothing to this country. Nothing. Zero. Democrat politicians, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Black Lives Matter, they've contributed nothing to this country. They still contribute nothing to this country except hardship. As they pass judgment on everybody else, including the founders. Some person who basically comes out of nowhere with a journalism degree, rewrites American history, 1619 Project, put by a diabolical media corporation called the New York Times, 
leeches into our school systems. Critical race theory with these Al, where these, uh, yeah, could be Al Sharpton wannabes, Louis Farrakhan wannabes, making millions and millions from their books, attacking white people, pushing white supremacy and white racism, and on and on and on. They are embraced, promoted, vetted hustlers. Hustlers. What do we do about all this? And so it is very important that we build this movement. It's very important that we enlist as many of our fellow citizens as we can from all walks of life, all races, all income categories. It doesn't matter if you love the country and want to save it, if you love your children and want to save their minds. That matters. We will not use the violence that the Marxist militia uses, in many cases, to support the Democrat Party. We will not lie to each other or to third parties the way our corrupt media do each and every day, starting with the New York Times and the Washington Post, the major television networks, and of course CNN and MSNBC. This we won't do. But we must galvanize. We must rally. We must do this. And so, please join the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of other people. Join them. Join us. There are tens of millions of us. Join us. I can sit here and do what most hosts do and just whine and complain. It's not hard to do. Whine and complain, whine and complain, regurgitate the same stuff, one guy to the next, one gal to the next. But that's not me. It's never been me. It's never going to be me. That's a complete waste of this of this platform I've been blessed to have. A complete waste. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Diana Presley is the reprobate, I mean representative out of Massachusetts, one of the uh, Marxists. Ibrahim X. Kendi is a multimillionaire who's made a fortune out of pushing, uh, in my view, Louis Farrakhan racism and Marxism. And they were on a video call yesterday, Hat Tip Post Millennial, great site, cut 20, go. Doctor, I was just asking Dr. Kendi about his recommendations for policies that are actively anti-racist and, and what we should be speaking to advance in this moment. And he was uh, bringing up my amendment to H.R. 1 to lower the voting age to 16 in federal elections. Lower the voting age to 16 in federal elections. Why 16? Why not 12, Mr. Producer? Go ahead. Shocked by how polarizing an issue uh, this was. And when I would tell people, well, listen, John Lewis is, a, is a, an original co-sponsor of this. So what? John Lewis wasn't God. 
A lot of people have a lot of stupid ideas who are good people, but they still have stupid ideas. Go ahead. And, uh, you know, our young people deserve to have a stakeholder in our democracy. But talk to me about why you um, believe that that's anti-racist. Well, I mean, when you look at younger people um, and when you look at younger voters, one of the areas in which we've talked quite a bit in terms of black and brown folks being disenfranchised, but young black and brown folks in particular. I don't hear it, Mr. Producer. Front of, of disenfranchisement. And, and, and right, let's start have, it over. The audience heard it, but I don't hear it. All right, go ahead. When, when, when the sort of younger generations are more predominantly black and brown, it, it, it sort of leads to a, you know, a greater level of disenfranchisement. So anything that can ensure that younger people uh, can vote um, the younger, the better. Is the younger, to... the better. The younger, the better. Go ahead. Can brown folks to vote um, and thereby bring a greater sort of sense of multiracial. Uh, oh, there's this guy full of us. It's not even funny. Gets paid an awful lot of money for being a hack. See, this is what they're thinking. More and more of the younger population is of color. So you see, the younger people can vote, the more influence they'll have in the democracy. So it's all about power. That's all. It's all about power. This is the radical movements of the 1960s and earlier dressed up as something else. So younger and younger people should be able to vote. Younger and younger people should be brainwashed and indoctrinated in schools. If we can just do these things, it would be wonderful. Now, this guy didn't invent anything, Ibrahim X. Kendi. He's not really an original or profound thinker or scholar of any kind. Basically, he's regurgitating what others have come up with. And you can hear the talk, how black and brown folks, particularly younger black and brown folks, are disenfranchised. They're disenfranchised, don't you know? In the greatest nation on the face of the earth, with the greatest access to all things liberty on the face of the earth. And you have these two fools trying to influence as many people as they can, particularly young people. Ibram X. Kendi, nothing profound about this guy, nothing profound about anything he's written. He pushes this racist, outrageous propaganda, and he's celebrated for it. So you heard what he said. Anything that can ensure that younger people could vote, the younger, the better, is going to then allow more black and brown folks to vote, bringing multiracial democracy to this country. We have multiracial democracy in this country, you idiot. How'd this guy get tenure? I'm sure it's... Well, how did he get tenure? Younger and younger, huh? I'm telling you, folks, this is just, it is an ongoing battle, and the media in this country promote this stuff. They promote this stuff. And I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now. 
Broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want to congratulate Joe Biden. The Taliban has now overrun the 7th and 8th Afghan provincial capitals. They are slaughtering people left and right. Joe Biden said it was a good decision. It's one thing to withdraw from a war zone, ladies and gentlemen. It's the way you withdraw from a war zone that matters. Joe Biden truly is a heartless human being. Absolutely heartless. Despite what he's personally been through, it doesn't seem to have affected his view of the rest of the world. Abortion on demand, funded by the federal government right up to the last second. All right. Did you hear uh, Andrew Cuomo resigned? Maybe you didn't hear that. Andrew Cuomo resigned. And uh, he was forced out, not because of the, the slaughter that occurred in the nursing homes in New York, which Anthony Fauci and Joe Biden and the rest of the reprobates remain silent about. I'm glad to see other people picked up on Joe Biden and Tara Reid now, Mr. Producer. That's, that's good. Very good. But he won't resign. He'll only be pressed. That was litigated during the campaign, don't you know? Yep, yep, yep. Now, Cuomo was forced out because of this report that was put together, damning report. I listened to his defense counsel, a, uh, a birth-giving individual, or what do they call it again, Mr. Medusa? I forget. A birthing person who was a former federal press. She was pretty good. Problem is, her client sucks. And in the end, whether he stays or goes was, in fact, a political matter. And now he faces potential legal issues. Andrew Cuomo at his press conference today, cut one, go. I said on national TV to a doctor wearing PPE and giving me a COVID nasal swab, you make that gown look good. I was joking. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't have said it on national TV. But she found it disrespectful. I take full responsibility for my actions. Is that sexual harassment? I'm just curious, if you tell somebody that, you look good in a white gown. Is, is that sexual harassment? Or is sticking your hand under a staffer's skirt and molesting her? Now that seems to me to cross the line, doesn't it you, Mr. Producer? So a lot was made of what he's talking about here, but nothing was made of what Joe Biden did to Tara Reid. Nothing. Go ahead. Been too familiar with people. My sense of humor can be insensitive and off-putting. I do hug and kiss people casually. Gross. Women and men. I have done it all my life. Yes, but do you fondle women and men all your life? Have you done that too? 
You know, there is a difference between a friendly hug and a kiss of somebody you know and you've known for some time, and they understand that, but there's a difference, Kevin. I just wanted to point this out. When you're grabbing somebody's butt or somebody's breast, you do understand that, right? I've been doing this all my life. I have. I'm a very sensitive man, but maybe I was being insensitive. And I take full responsibility, but I really don't. And I've done this all my life. Go ahead. Been since I can remember. In my mind, I've never crossed the line with anyone. You see, that's a weird line. In my mind, I've never crossed the line with anyone. You either have crossed the line or you haven't. You either have or you have it. It's not in your mind. Did you cross the line? In my line, I didn't. No, I I didn't. Go ahead. But I didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn. Now, I actually sympathize with him in some of the cases. But how do you explain the ones where you grab somebody's tuchus in their breast? That line has not been redrawn, has it, Mr. Producer? No, that, that line has not been redrawn. Go ahead. There are generational and cultural shifts that I just didn't fully appreciate. And I should have. No excuses. Well, you just made 12 excuses. Now, cut two, go. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not to say that there are not 11 women who I truly offended. There are. And for that, I deeply, deeply apologize. I thought a hug... And you know, this is so own. strange to me, to be perfectly honest with you. It's very strange to me. Now, obviously, he's a serial groper. I think we can conclude he's a serial groper, pretty much. But all these women were not groped. Some of them didn't like what he said. Some of them didn't. Got that. There's 11 women. I hear there could even be more, Mr. Producer. But there is still this thing called due process. Am I wrong? There still is this thing, and I'm not even talking about the groping. I'm talking about the talking. You look good in a white robe. Oh, my God. Did you hear what he said? You look good in a white robe. Oh, my Lord. I am curious about one thing. Not being a woman at all. And not intending to become one. Do women ever say about guys, you know, that guy looks good in those blue jeans. I'll tell you what. Do women ever say that, do you think, Mr. Producer? Never. Never, apparently. But this still brings me back to Biden. How does Biden escape any scrutiny whatsoever? How does he escape scrutiny? Go ahead. F person while taking a picture was friendly. But she found it to be too forward. I kissed a woman on the cheek at a wedding, and I thought I was being nice. But she felt that it was too aggressive. Well, did you know the woman? Who kisses a woman on the cheek at a wedding if you don't know the woman? Am I right about that, Mr. Producer? I don't kiss women on the cheek that I don't know. And if I kiss a woman on the cheek, typically it's my wife. 
It's my mother-in-law. It's my daughter. Yeah, you understand. He must be a COVID spreader too, I suspect. He's a spreader. Because you have to remove a mask to do all that kissing. Although I noticed that the photos with the party with Obama, he's slobbering all over the place too. Did you see that, Rich? Oh my goodness, that was a slob fest. That really was. I say that with all due respect. Go ahead. And called people honey, sweetheart, and darling. I meant it to be endearing. But women found it. Look, I touched. I kissed. I said you look good. Called you sweetheart. I'm an old timer, you know. I, I didn't know I crossed the line. I had no idea that the line had changed. What do I know? He's doing the rope dope, the stupid defense. Go ahead. Aided and offensive. Well, and you know what's funny? I bet 40% of New Yorkers would vote for this guy still. Maybe 50%. The Democrats, I mean. They don't care. Oh, who's running? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Democrat, Democrat, vote Democrat. I mean, they vote for DeCamio. What a disaster. He's destroyed their city. Doesn't matter. He's a Democrat. Letitia James. There's another winner. Loser. Oh, yeah, we're going to vote for Letitia. Oh, she's great. Democrat, another Democrat. I, by the way, I'm going to officially endorse Curtis Sliwa for mayor of New York City. I forgot I hadn't done it for weeks. Do you know that, Mr. Producer? I'm going, what the hell am I waiting for? Honestly, I forgot. But Curtis, we're all for you, baby. We hope you win. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, my friends, let's take a few phone calls. What do you say? Gainesville, Florida, one of my favorite towns, the great WSKY, an individual by the name of Honor. It's an honor to speak to you. How are you? Good morning, an honor to speak to you. Good afternoon. I bumped into a young lady named Liberty the other day. Seriously. Nice. Yes. I kept saying Liberty. People were looking around like I was losing my mind. I said, Liberty, Liberty. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Lovely, thank you. Go right ahead. Um, I just think that um, the, basically what we've seen yesterday was that the Republican Party in, in the whole has betrayed us. They've, they've turned into traitors. They're not protecting our country. Um, there is an all-out war on this nation. It's a very, very dark war. And like you said earlier, we can't depend upon the Republican Party. And I think that en masse, we need to start praying to God and say, Arise, O God, and may your enemies be scattered, because this is bigger and darker than what we can fight on. Well, what I, what, what I think here is they couldn't even block this, and then they pretend that this will help stop the massive bill behind it. They shouldn't vote for anything that will help the Democrats or this administration. It's not worth 23 cents out of a dollar on roads, and then you have the other... 77 cents and all the rest of the crap. Thank you for your call, my friend. Let us go to Representative Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor of New York. Representative Zeldin, looks like you might be running against a different kind of Democrat now, sir. Yeah, I mean, we'll see who the Democrats end up choosing to nominate, but we know it's not going to be Andrew Cuomo. Uh, it's, in one respect, amazing that it took him this long to realize that it was time to go. 
Uh, but as people were watching the press conference today, there were a whole lot of people who said, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't resign and just tries to keep fighting. Uh, but impeachment removal was starting to look more and more like a certainty. Losing at the ballot box next year started to appear more and more like uh, a, a possibility, a probability. Uh, and what we all need to make sure doesn't get lost in all of this as we talk about the serious allegations and investigation conclusions that were made, we cannot uh, forget about the thousands of New York families who still want accountability and answers and closure uh, as a consequence of this governor's deadly nursing home uh, order and cover-up. We can't forget about this governor's $5.1 million self-congratulatory book deal and all the different investigations that are going on. Uh, he, you could tell in his words he wasn't announcing his resignation as part of holding himself accountable, you could tell by his words he was resigning to skirt accountability. Uh, so while he might not be the governor anymore, we are not going to stop talking uh, about what happened, especially with his lieutenant taking over as the next governor. And the thing is this. Even apart from all this, the horrific mismanagement of the state, the massive taxes, you have people leaving in droves, the depopulation of the state, particularly New York City. You have a fool as the mayor of New York City, of fools all over that state, quite frankly. Um, isn't it time to clean house, have somebody with a, with a stellar background, you in particular, uh, who will bring some common sense to the office of the governor? Isn't it time to just sweep this crowd? Yeah, this one-party Democrat rule, outsized power of self-described socialists, are resulting in our law enforcement with handcuffs on them instead of criminals. We need to repeal cashless bail in New York. We need to keep qualified immunity. We should pass a law enforcement bill of rights for our great men and women in blue. We should make sure that critical race theory is out of every school in the state of New York. Our schools, kids should be going for a quality education, not indoctrination or brainwashing, and those small businesses that barely survived the lockdown policies are now being told by Mayor de Blasio that they have to turn away good-paying customers because they don't have the vaccine paperwork to allow them to walk in the front door. The, the policies eroding public safety, the quality education, the, the cost of living increasing, our freedoms under attack. Why should we continue for a moment longer, especially as we have seen with clarity how in other states people can be living freer with their money going further and feeling safer? We can have that here, but not with one-party Democratic rule like this. Mm -hmm. And... Um New York is really on the precipice of having a lot of potential solid opportunities here with a mayoral race, with a governor's race, a race for many of these uh, state assembly seats and so forth. I mean, if the people of New York are really serious about changing what's been, about bringing some positive leadership back, some common sense back, they have an opportunity to do that now, don't they? Across this state, absolutely. We have 62 counties in New York. Four of the five boroughs of New York City uh, really being the difference in deciding who's going to win these statewide races. But when you take out those four boroughs and analyze the other, uh, the rest of this entire state, 
uh, and you have some purple counties, and you have a whole lot of red, dark red counties, uh, you have opportunities. Statewide, if everyone actually shows up and votes, I remember when the SAFE Act got passed in, in January of 2013, you had registered gun owners in uh, this state. You had strong constitutional conservatives across New York who weren't registered to vote or registered to vote, and they didn't vote. My message to them is, yes, it is your right to vote, but it's also your duty to vote, your obligation to vote. There are going to be opportunities for Congress, for Senate, for Assembly. We have a supermajority here in New York in the Assembly and Senate. We can break that. We have 20 senators, Republican state senators. We have to get to at least 23 to break the supermajority. Uh, we're close to in the, in the state assembly. But what that means is that everybody across this state who's hitting their breaking point, they're emotional and passionate, they get it, they feel like they are about to leave, their family, their community is at a breaking point, their state's at a breaking point. You have to participate. You can't just wake up the day after an election complaining about who got elected the day before if you didn't do your part. And if everybody everywhere is all in, top down, bottom up, cleaning house, winning back the governorship, and all these other opportunities across the state is going to be a once in a generation memory that will be reflected on 40 years later about that year 2022 where New York flipped back where instead of watching conservatives on their heels defending territory like Georgia instead you saw Democrats on their heels losing mm-hmm. places like New York and California and, and elsewhere I'm going to do my part and uh, it's going to be important, though, for millions of New Yorkers to step up and, and do theirs. Their well, before we have a hard break and I lose you, where do people go if they want to support the campaign? ZeldinForNewYork.com, Z-E-L-D-I-N-F-O-R, New York, ZeldinForNewYork.com. All right, and real fast, when is this uh, primary again? If there is a primary, it's going to be June of 2022. All Republicans will need everybody's support in this effort, taking nothing for granted. All right. It's a big state with a lot of people. You're starting early. That's smart. And as you know, folks, I've endorsed Lee Zell, and he's absolutely terrific. Good luck to you, sir, and God bless you, and we'll be right back. Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, cut big tech out of the process when purchasing American Marxism. I am no longer on Twitter. I am no longer on Facebook. When Twitter started attacking the president, I left Twitter, I left Facebook, because Facebook kept dinging me for no reason at all. I haven't been on either Twitter or Facebook for, since end of February, February, early February, January 1st, Facebook, long time. So you won't see me promoting my book on Facebook, and you won't see me promoting my book on Twitter. If others do, that's up to them. I have nothing to do with it. Nothing. Zero. So cut, cut out Facebook and Twitter. And I would encourage all people who are conservatives with books, cut out Twitter and Facebook. In fact, stop using Twitter and Facebook. I'm probably the only radio host 
digital host, and I'm guessing Fox host, who's not on Twitter, let alone Facebook. I don't know that for a fact. That's my guess. That's my guess. So if you really want to cut out big tech, then cut out Twitter and Facebook. Now let's talk about Amazon. Folks, Amazon has actually been very, very good to us in terms of my book. Has it banned some books? Yes. Then it's had to reverse course. I'm no special pleader for this guy, Bezos, who owns the Washington Compost. I detest them. I detest all of them. But if I need to get things quickly and so forth, there's a number of sites I use on the Internet. Amazon's one of them. And I'm guessing most of you do too. So let's not live a lie, right? But there's other places to get the book. My only point is, I don't promote this book on Twitter or Facebook. And we have still have call, sold a three-quarters of a million of them. I don't wear that as a badge of honor. I don't keep saying, you know, cut out Twitter, cut out Facebook. But I do. I cut them out. In fact, at the end of the book, in Chapter 7, I encourage you to do the same thing. Believe me, you'll be mentally so much healthier than looking over your shoulder at these dweebs constantly lying about you and smearing you and giving you this and that. Life does go on. So these are the social media platforms. And also, in Chapter 7 of my book, I talk about the things that we need to do, in my opinion, as individual citizens to confront Twitter and Facebook. And one of them is to get rid of them. Is to get rid of them. So you will not see me promoting my book or any videos or anything else. I left Mark Levin Twitter, whatever it's called. It was Mark Levin Show Twitter, Mr. Producer, is that right? Mark Levin Show Face. I left behind, and millions and millions of you had friended me and were following me. Millions of you. But I stood on principle. I stood on principle. I cut out these big tech social platforms. Now we're over at Parlor. over 5 million of you follow me. It's a, it's, it's a site that's still trying to get its legs, there's no question about it. There's no question about it. But a lot of people who denounce big tech, Twitter and Facebook, they're still on Twitter and or Facebook. And that's okay, people make their own decisions. I made my decision some time ago that if you're going to ban a former president for life, I want nothing to do with you. And in the case of Facebook, when we later learned Zuckerberg's involvement in the campaign, I wanted nothing to do with him. So, you won't find me promoting my book on Twitter. You won't find me promoting my book on Facebook. If others do, it's up to them. I haven't asked them. I'm, nothing, none of that stuff's going on. Period. Publisher's free to do what the publisher wants to do. Friends are free to do what they want to do. I don't get involved. I do my thing. I do my thing. So if we really want to leave big tech behind, then get out of Twitter and get out of Facebook. And I say that to all my brothers and sisters, my colleagues, in radio, TV land, digital land, and the rest. If you don't, it's okay. It's okay. We each have to do what we each choose to do. Now, here's the thing. If Amazon wants to promote my book 
which has been number one on Amazon's list for almost an entire month. Isn't that a good thing? If the New York Times, which I hate with a passion, and I've dug up all that information I provided you, wants to keep putting me number one on the New York Times list, and I can tout it and talk about it, that's a good thing, right? Because they hate me. They all hate me. They despise me. Feelings mutual. They're not number one on my list. I'm number one on their list. Right, Mr. Producer? I beat them at their game. They didn't beat me at anything. So, there's a time and place for everything. I just wanted to point that out. It just shows you the power of the ideas and the information and the strategies in the book American Marxism. That we don't need Twitter and Facebook. We don't need them. I don't need them. And I'm not going to use them. Let's continue. Frank, Brick, New Jersey, the great WABC. Frank, go right ahead, please. Go. Go. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Thank you. Good. How are you, call. Frank? Uh, I'm, I'm a lifelong, all right, lifelong uh, Democrat, conservative, uh, fiscal conservative Democrat, fear God. And uh, I uh, just, you know, I, I was always brought up free speech, civil liberties, and challenged the power of government. And as you can see, I don't fit in anymore. So what I do, I, I supported Trump and Lindsey Graham. And look what Lindsey Graham did to me, you know, a sellout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't make any difference to both to him or a Democrat. And I just well, it, to... do, it does on the fringes, but it would be better if we had a conservative, don't you think? That's what Republican primaries are all about. But uh, it's just hard to get the perfect politician. We don't expect the perfect politician, Frank, but we expect a more perfect politician, right? Yeah, yeah. true. Um... Boy, you have a bunch of losers in your state, I must confess. I must say. Oh, I know. It's a disgrace here, too, uh, even some of the Republicans. But while I was on hold, I ordered your book, and I just found out my friend Eddie, who's an over-the-road truck driver, <clears throat> driving right now, is listening to your book on CD, and the CD is getting passed around from truck driver to truck driver. Once wow. they finish listening to it, because they can't read while they're driving, they're listening to your book. So you're a great American. I you know what, you... Frank? You are cool, and so are these truck drivers. Can I tell you something? I am shocked at the number of audio sales there are of this book. It must be the truck drivers. Yeah, they're hardworking people. They keep Amen. the country running. Not, Amen. Not, not the politicians. You take care. You take care. You're no, they're the America. cog in the wheel. All right, Frank, God bless you, my friend. And Frank is exactly the kind of person I'm talking about. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, blue-collar, white-collar. I don't care. If you love this country, we need to galvanize and we need to rally. It's that simple. It's that simple, in my humble opinion. Mr. Producer reminds me to remind you, I will be on Hannity on Fox tonight, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time. I have no idea what it is that I'm talking about or what it is that he's going to ask me. None. Nor have I posted it on Twitter or Facebook. Right, Mr. Producer? We posted it on Parler because we want to leave, leave big tech behind. And we want to kick big techs behind. Can I put it that way? I think I will. Where am I, Rich? What am I on here? Let's go to Ray, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. Ray, you're on, baby. Go. Yes. 
Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I just like to say McCarthy had the right idea when he said <clears throat> one communist in the government was one too many. Only thing he forgot to add. All first. right, just understand, Ray, this has nothing to do with that. Uh, okay, it well. has nothing to do with the Soviet infiltration of our government. This has to do with these. I just want the American people to understand you're giving me an opportunity to explain this. This has nothing to do with the 1950s, McCarthy, the none of it, whatever you think of it. It has to do with these homegrown movements that have been tailored uh, uh, to be uniquely American Marxist movements. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's our government selling the country out. Basically, the Republicans and the Democrats. Well, you see the vote today. You see what these repubes did. Huh? All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. That's Ray in Philadelphia, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go all the way across the country. Actually, I need to take a break. Then we'll go back. I'll be right back. Mark in. Let's go to Louisville, Kentucky, XM Satellite, to AJ. AJ, how are you, Louisville? Oh, by the way, AJ, this guy McConnell, these are McConnell, I'm calling these people McConnell Republicans now, those 19. They sold us out. They greased the skids for the Democrats. It is the, the biggest boneheaded move that any rhinos have ever done in their lives. Go ahead, sir. He's brutal. I never supported him. But listening to your talk about the uh, the social media, uh, I'm a uh, professor, non-tenured adjunct at a university in Kentucky, and uh, all my students always want to know why I'm not on social media. Like they want to Facebook me or Twitter me or whatever, and I tell them just use the email system in the university. It flips them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I caught about was I. The 1.2 trillion went in today. We know it's going to cost more. Oh, yeah. And then the 3.5, which we know is going to cost more, mm-hmm. we're going to try to ram through with reconciliation. What are our options? Because I think these both might get through. Well, we have no option because we don't get the vote. The only option you have is to call your members of Congress, but they really blew it big. These 19 Republicans, they really screwed up. And they are self-righteous. They are narcissistic. Uh, they're praising themselves. They go on media and say they're the real conservatives. These are the sellouts. These are the dupes. They got a few sh- a few dollars for their uh, for their states. They're the usual pork bar- barrel phonies. And, uh, you know, it's up to the people in every state now to vote them out. Don't forget about them. As I said, seven of the 19 just got reelected, like, uh, like McConnell, like Graham, and they're going to assume you're going to forget. And then, uh, and then you've got three of them who aren't running for re-election. And so uh, you're an adjunct professor. You know, we can't snap our fingers and fix this now, can we? Senate, if we take control of the House and Senate in 2022 and, be, and beyond, are there any mechanisms to reverse? The- well, of course, just like they reversed Obamacare, remember? They didn't, yeah. even though they had the votes to do it. Thank you. They Senator. didn't. Yeah, I'm trying to think That's the we... problem. That's why the Democrats are ramming through as much as they possibly can. They see 2022. They, it's over their shoulder. They know that it's very likely, certainly possible, that they're going to lose the House. And so they're ramming through everything they can. 
And this is, uh, this is not republicanism. This is not constitutionalism. This is tyranny. All right, my friend. Are we handing out books tonight, Mr. Producer? Let's not forget the adjunct professor. You sent me an email and said, Mark, you need to sign book plates. I think you better send me another email. I apologize. Been a busy day. Let us go to Tony, Oakmont, Pennsylvania, the great WJAS. Tony, how are you, sir? Fine, sir. Thank you very kindly for taking my call, and it's an honor to speak to you. Thank you, sir. Um, I'm a combat Marine. I'm God a bless combat you. Marine of Vietnam, 68, 69. Wow, right uh, in the thick of it. I'm sick over what's going on to this country, man. It's mm-hmm. making me sick. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, I just don't know what's going to happen here. But I know one thing, Trump's going to get back in. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. You might be right. You might be right. If he does, he's well, got my support. And and when I came home from Vietnam, I it took me a while to get a job for the state, but I worked 20 years in a maximum security prison. Oh, boy. So... And I wanted to let you know that I bought seven of your books. Whoa. And I passed them out to the, my, my buddies that uh, I, uh, I keep in touch with. You are very, very kind, Tony. I'll tell you what. Number one, thank you very, very much for your service. And number two, don't hang up. We will send you a signed copy of American Marxism as soon as I get them signed, uh, which I'm going to do very quickly because Mr. Producer is going to send me another email. Tony, thank you, my friend. You're very, very kind, and you're doing... I mean, you're obviously a great hero, and I appreciate it. The Vietnam War, he was in there 68, 69. I'm telling you, I was in the teeth of it. In the teeth of it. I was a teenager. I remember all that. Thank all you Vietnam vets, all you vets out there. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and those who stand up for our liberty, elected or not. I'll see you on Hannity, 9.25 p.m., 30 minutes from now on Fox. God bless.